podcast contains mature content. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome to the jury room, where we dissect some of the most heinous, some of the most unthinkable, and some of the most monstrous crimes to ever scar the earth. From cannibalistic serial killers to decades-old unsolved mysteries, These stories are sinister enough to keep you up at night. All right. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Jury Room Aftermath. I'm excited because today it's a little bit different. I've got somebody. Her name is Ray. She's from the Not Before Coffee podcast. She's somebody who I think everybody should go listen to. She's from the UK and she does TV, movies, and all kinds of things. Ray, hi, and welcome to the show. And tell the listeners about your podcast. Hi, Kevin. Thank you so much for asking me to be on. This is definitely something very different for me. My podcast is, I talk about several things, as you said. I do movies, TV. I've just started season three, and I'm actually doing a rom-com season. I looked at my figures, and it's like, ooh, rom-coms do well. And I have a list, a three-page list that is still growing of rom-coms I haven't watched or haven't watched in years. So so that's going to be interesting. But I also talk about books on a Monday because I'm an avid reader. I think a lot of people are and they just look at their book and go, right, I'm going to move on to the next one and not think about it again. So I try to think about the books I'm reading. And I talk about mental health as well. I am someone who has had issues with their mental health for, oh God, 30 odd years now. And though it is something that is talked about, it's still got that little, it's kind of not something that people think about very much when they look at the person next to them and see that they are not processing things as well. So I like to bring certain issues to light. And that is something that I agree that needs to be definitely focused on more is, is that mental health aspect. I think we've come a long way over the years, just even since I was a kid. But um, I definitely think, you know, with people like you and your podcast who bring light to that, even if you help one person, you're definitely helping, you know, for the greater good, for sure. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think there is such a stigma. And obviously, you're in the US where therapy has been the sort of thing. I remember watching movies in the 80s and people saying, oh, I'm going to therapy. And it was something that was mocked over here. Because mental health care is really difficult to access in the UK unless you've got money. Right. And that, you know, over the years here, and just until recent years, and I, and I think a lot of that comes from celebrities talking about it, um, you know, to where it's being talked about in the mainstream that it has really started to help, you know, I, I don't want to say this, but the common folk, you know what I mean? The everyday person um, has really started to start a conversation of, you know, okay, people are suffering, people do need help. And especially over here, our answer has been for many years to just lock people up instead of helping them, whether it be in a prison system or in a, in a mental health facility and just lock away the key. Oh, they're, you know, they're useless. They're, they're no good. And and that's the unfortunate part with that stigma that you've, you know, you've alluded to is that people don't want to actually talk about it. They just want to make it go away, you know, but we're getting to a place where it's getting better to where we're actually talking about our problems. Yeah, there used to be so much shame attributed to it. And I can remember being in a workplace, even in the early 2000s, where you did not discuss mental health. If you had an issue, they would prefer to write it off. And I can remember I was signed off work for 10 months. I had a a serious mental break. And they essentially ignored the entire thing when I went back to work, it was nothing had changed. So none of the issues that had sort of aided me in my journey towards a complete breakdown that had me 
visiting a psychiatrist, a therapist and a counsellor for 10 solid months and having so much medication pumped into me, they didn't want to even allude to it. They didn't want to acknowledge that they, they might be in some way culpable for this. And they essentially shoved me straight back in the exact same situation that I'd been in before I was ill. And then it's, again, it's a cycle. Then now you're in a circle. Precisely. So it's something that I think needs to be talked about more, less, not necessarily less by celebrities, but it's when so many celebrities come out and say they've got a problem, it becomes like a fashion accessory, like a little dog in your purse. That That is when, while I see that point of view, but it also opens the conversation though. I mean, look at what the pandemic has created, you know, because now celebrities have had nothing but time because unfortunately, and it's not, I, I say celebrities, but I mean the media, right? Because oh, yeah. the media shapes the narrative, no matter what the conversation is. And so with it being forefront in the media, hey, so-and-so is having a mental health problem. It then it now it's kind of <clears throat> I kind of equate it in a way to like like when Bill Cosby, when all the sexual assault victims started coming out, one person I'm not saying mental health is like sexual, right? <laughs> like I'm not that's not what I'm saying. But when one person opens says something, then now you have another person and then that snowball just creates, you know what I mean? And I feel like that's kind of what has happened with being people being able to take care of their mental health is now it's, it's not so shunned upon. It's not so, you know, like it's not in the corner of the room anymore. You know what I mean? It's able to come out into the light. Oh yeah. It's just a shame that with it coming out into the light, a lot of people will use it as a tool True, and they do. Right. And especially in the UK, the help just isn't there. Right. So you can have, you can have all the mental health issues under the sun, be absolutely desperate, but there is no way to get help, especially if it sounds weird. If you're really young, very, very easy to get counseling. My niece had problems. She's at college. She got immediate appointments. I am on a waiting list that is nine months long and I have got existing health issues because the help just isn't available. That's crazy. Well, let's unless get, you've got money. <laughs> right. Unless you got money and you can uh, buy your way in, right? I it's something I wanted to ask and we'll get off of the, such a, a sad subject at the beginning <laughs> is um what's your favorite rom-com right now? My favorite rom-com, well I've always loved uh if you're talking Christmas holiday Christmas films, I'd say The Holiday is one of my favorites. However, I also absolutely love Chalet Girl. And Wimbledon, there's uh, there's a long list, and I know people don't ever like to say. Well, a lot of people don't want to admit that they even like them. Right. But I've talked I've talked about a couple of my favourites. The Holiday is amazing. Wimbledon, I absolutely love, and I think it's hugely underrated. And Chalet Girl is one of those that I actually have a the DVD, and b it's currently available in the UK on Amazon and on um, Amazon and Netflix. And it's on both of my, you have watched this, do you want to watch it again lists? <laughs> I've never even heard of that movie. Oh, it's it's sweet. It's based in Switzerland and it stars the girl who later became famous for Rogue One, Felicity Jones. Oh, okay. I'm not a Star Wars fan and I'm sure people are going to hate me for that. No. I saw the first three, which are the second three in the cinema in 77, 81 and 83. I think 81 and 83 with my dad and never saw them again. Right. I I like the first three, the original three, right? Before they started, you know, going crazy with them. Before they uh, added the prequels. Right. The prequels, the, the ones after. I haven't even seen the new ones. So I'm like, eh, I, I staying away from it. Yeah, I don't blame you. So what is your favorite rom-com? Favorite rom-com? Now you're going to make me admit that I like rom-coms, huh? Hey, why not? One of the ones that I think off the top of my head growing up that I really enjoyed was 10 Things I Hate About You. It was this set for the time. 
Uh, Heath Ledger was amazing. It was just, it was good beginning to end. And I think that's one of my favorites. That's a classic pick though, I think. I, I don't know many people who would actually honestly stand up and say, I don't like that film. Or they may well say they don't like it, but there'll still be aspects of it that they can pick out and say, oh yeah, that bit was really funny. The scene in the um, stadium where he's singing can't take my eyes off of you and everything else. I think anybody can pick out a moment from that film. Oh, 100%. Well, let's get to Jodi Arias and this crazy, crazy (laughs) woman that went a whole different direction in her life. Uh, Had you ever heard of this case um, before I invited you on? I can honestly say no. And I know that obviously we talked before and I, I... I think that the fact that it didn't travel across the Atlantic is quite surprising. I mean, I've read about the case since we talked about it, and wow. <laughs> right, and that was one thing that surprised me too, because I know a lot of people here, like um, Jody Arias has, like that's like a uh, a hashtag almost, you know, to where people, everybody here in the United States has heard about it, and it's, it's one of those things that it, it did surprise me that it hadn't moved across the pond. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, there are so many cases that do, but then obviously the same can be said over here for cases right. that occur over here that are just as brutal that don't travel across to the U.S. Right. So what were your immediate thoughts on doing a little bit of research on her? I, well, obviously I listened to your episode, which was really detailed and quite horrific. And then I did a load of digging of my own because I like research anyway. So this was kind of like, oh, this is another fun project. And I found it really interesting, especially the relationship between her and Travis. Because there was something wrong with that from the start. Hugely wrong with that from the start. I think it was one of those, you know, you're young and one of those whirlwind, you know, kind of romances where you're just so infatuated that you can't let go of that person. You know what I mean? Well, well, yeah, I think the issue, though, is the fact that she was so infatuated, but she wasn't a teenager. She was at many of her many of her behaviors. I'd have immediately associated not obviously the insane murderous tendencies or anything, but they are the kind of behaviors I'd associate with an infatuated 13, 14 year old. Right. And it might be, you know, one of those things she probably had some kind of attachment issues, some kind of. um Obsessive compulsiveness, you know what I mean, to where she she. F- focused in because she was the type of person who molded herself to whoever she was around, right? Whatever crowd she was in, she would form herself to fit in with them, not just be herself. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's, that is a very, very strange thing. And I think that there are quite a number of people that have that particular behavior of molding themselves into the person that someone they're infatuated with or have a relationship with expect them to be. I think the thing that I found, but the thing that I found really strange about her was, well, actually, apart from everything, I think a lot of it could be attributed to her youth. But at the same time, you were talking about the punishments that she received from her parents when she was a ch- her and her siblings received from their parents when she was a child and I'm thinking well I used to get whacked on the backside and the back of the hands with a wooden spoon and I'm not a psychotic killer right and that's the I, I don't I don't necessarily think it's fair for people to blame you know being punished as a kid as a uh, as an excuse to go and kill people because the reality of it is like I same as you like I I if I acted up I got you know I got hit that was that was the punishment that was the way to teach you right from wrong right now while yeah well now maybe that narrative has changed a little bit as far as now there you know some of it some people say it's abusive and and in some forms it is but in other ways 
I think it's needed in certain situations to, you know, it's like grabbing a hot, you know, a, a hot pot on the stove. It teaches you not to grab that hot pot on the stove. You know, it hurts. I mean? Right. <laughs> I've got burns. I've got burns all over my. I bake, and I've got burns on the back of my hands, on my fingers, pretty much everywhere because that lesson just didn't seem to sink in properly. It's hot. Don't pick it up. Right. And that's, you know, and while I don't think you should be, you know, smacking your kid every time they do something wrong, uh, it's definitely needed. And I don't feel that it's an excuse to kill people because there's a lot of people who are treated far worse who don't go and kill people. Exactly. There is some, it's almost as though there was a switch in her brain. I know that, I mean, their relationship was tumultuous from the start, as you said. But also, I'm not saying he brought it on himself because I don't think anybody brings that kind of anything on themselves. However, he did He did not mislead her so much as lead her on. Right. And that's part of the... The conversation of, you know, can you empathize with her to a degree? Because nobody wants to be let on, right? Nobody wants to feel like they've been used or, you know, that this person doesn't actually have their best interests in mind, you know? Yeah, it's almost as though he he was infatuated with her, but he knew even though she'd converted to his religion and everything else, she was never going to be suitable to be the one and it's almost as though she she was in this the world where she believed that that would change I think part of his dilemma was he wanted he had this picture in his head and while I think he was trying to fit into a box right this perfect Mormon man box that he had created for himself right but he I mean but he wasn't that Right. But he had this picture that he wanted. Right. And I think the true self to him, he wanted, you know, the crazy sex, the, the beautiful wife, the, you know what I mean? He wanted this, this, but it didn't fit his picture. Right. So I think that's where, you know, him leading her on came from was because he couldn't resist what he actually wanted but it didn't fit the picture over here. You know what I mean? That he thought he needed to be in this religious box. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And I think that is, I mean, that was his biggest issue was the fact that he had in his mind this picture of what the perfect life would be. And it seems like that is what he was going after towards the end, but he couldn't switch off his desire for what he had had for quite a long time. Right. And that desire was what she was providing. And he yeah. didn't know how to, you know, walk away from it. Yeah. So as I said, I don't think that anybody ever deserves this, but you are the master of a relative amount of your own fate. No, he definitely, he definitely didn't deserve it. Right. But at the same notion, like you said, he's the master of his own universe. Right. Exactly. He's in control of the behaviors that he's exhibiting. And he was exhibiting a very, in a way, it sounds awful, but he was pretty much, he was a misogynist. Oh, very much so. He, total double standard. My wife must be a virgin. And so her past is she can't have one. Right. But that's fine. My past is I'm a playboy. I've slept with multiple women. I've led women on and I'm sure that he'd done it before, but obviously he didn't realize the consequences were going to be quite so bad this time around. Right. And I think that though is a a very valid point though. And that's something that I feel like we've lived with for a very long time, right? Is that the standards for men are not the same as standards for women, right? So a man can be, you know, flamboyant, not, it's probably not the right word for it, but a slut in in lack of better terms, right? They can go and, and have sex with as many women or whatever, do whatever they want. But if, you know, a woman wants to be considered for marriage or as marriage material, they have to be this picture perfect, 
bland, not bland, but very vanilla kind of life before them. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's it's very, very clear to see that in the media with the way that they portray. We have a few celebrities, I mean, I'm sure you do as well, that have had multiple husbands, have children by multiple men. The men aren't judged for that. Nick Cannon is a perfect example. He had three kids by two different women within a month of each other. That's not great. But a woman does the same thing. And well, obviously, she can't have three kids by two different men within a month of each other. But the same kind of principle, a woman can have children by multiple men and be judged for it. But a man can have children with multiple women and, oh, he's providing for them. So that's fine. And that I I feel like that that double standard is something that we need to uh, break. You know what I mean? It's not like women are just as much people as men are, right? We all yeah. have the same desires. We're we're all we're all wired, you know, f- the same roughly, and you know we all want to have a good life. And whether that your good your definition of a good life might be different than mine, but that doesn't make you any less than me. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, exactly. It's that's the thing. It's kind of like, though, obviously not the same. We had a case that was actually finalized in court and the person was sentenced to life in prison. But it was um, the Sarah Everard case that has recent that literally was, I believe it was ended yesterday and the guy was sentenced to life. And he was a cop. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah I heard that. And the Met off the Met, our Metropolitan Police issued advice for women if they feel in danger if you feel at risk and you're scared of the person who has stopped you a police officer potentially hail a bus that is the advice they are giving to women if they feel in danger on the street it's not let's teach our let's teach our men or let's analyze our police officers to make sure that they're safe around women it's hail a bus and that's the that infuriates me. That's one of the things that I see a lot on on just anywhere that the narrative is, you know, oh, the woman was dressed this or the woman was dressed that and and uh, the women, the woman shouldn't have been doing this and the woman shouldn't have been doing this. And it's like, how about you teach your fucking kids or your sons or your men not to be assholes? Like, why does it why can't a woman, if a woman wants to walk down the street naked, why can't she walk down the street naked? Well, I know it's against the law, but she shouldn't be afraid <laughs> that she's going to be assaulted. She should be afraid that she's going to get arrested. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, exa- if a man exactly. walked, if a man were to walk down the street naked, he's not going to be afraid to be assaulted. He's going to be afraid to be arrested. And it's that that double standard that really frustrates me. Yeah, that that's exactly it. It was... It sounds strange. I was having a conversation regarding safety and that, I mean, Jodie Arias used that narrative and I think that was incredibly wrong. She said, I felt at risk. I was doing it for self-defense. And the thing is, when you really are doing things for self-defense, I was talking to my mum and I said, do you ever feel unsafe when you go out? And she said, well, no, because I'm securing myself. And I said, do you wear high heels when you go out? And she said, well, no, because I might have to run. And I said, you've just proved my point. Right. You wear flat shoes in case you have to run. Why would you need to run if you feel safe? That And that's the point that it drives me insane is that why is it that we have as a society resounded ourselves to the fact that it's okay for a whole a whole section of our population. And this is not just women because I know some men and, and you know, the yeah, the trans population who, you know, are now identified as females who feel that same fear now. And it's it's sad that we've resounded that they need to do something to fix it or make themselves feel better instead of, you know, going to the other side and saying, hey, stop being an asshole. Like, don't do this. Like how... That's exactly it. Like it, it infuriates me that you hear these stories because I see the posts on social media all the time of these women saying, oh, I've tried to tell this guy no five times, but he won't back off. And it's like, why are you not just, they don't want to talk to you. Like they don't want you. You're not their cup of tea or whatever it is, or they just don't want, they're not interested and they can't tell you no. 
they have to make up a whole story as to why they don't want to interact with you. Yeah, exactly. That is the frustrating thing. And as I said, that's um, with this Jodie Arias case, she actually used her feeling in danger as a defense. It's, yeah, okay. So maybe shooting him in the shoulder, if you felt, if you felt you were in danger, maybe shoot him in the shoulder or, or not shoot him at all, just run rather than stab him 27 times and slit his throat. That doesn't sound like self-defense to me. No, not at that all. Sounds like, that sounds like premeditated murder. That sounds like... Unless I'm a, being stupid. <laughs> no, that's that's the brutality of it, is, is if self-defense, like you said, shooting him once, stabbing him once to get him off of you, something like that is definitely self-defense. But when you're talking about multiple stab wounds and then slitting his throat, it's it's definitely and then shoot and then shooting him and then shooting him just for good measure. Hey, let's make sure he's dead. You know, um, unless he's a vampire, I think the stab wounds, <laughs> the next, the throat slit would have actually been good enough. I mean, he was probably dead after the fifth one. I mean, let's be honest; it's it's one of those situations that. Just the sheer brutality. And I think that comes from the toxicity of their relationship though, right? She probably was holding on or, you know, who knows? Maybe he was even promising her, oh, we're going to be together and we're going to be this and that. And she finally just, you know, had enough and snapped. And and unfortunately, he, he, you know, ended his life. That's, uh, That's the thing that I found interesting was I was reading about that trip that he was taking to Cancun that he was going to take with Mimi. And originally her name was the one, the person he was going to take with him. So their relationship, whether it was toxic or not, he still had some intention towards her at that point. So maybe the snapping was the point where it's like, hang on a second, you've actually dated two girls since me and I'm still providing you with your sexual outlet. But I'm I'm good enough for that. Why aren't I good enough for anything else? And it was his image of, perfection in his head that had eliminated her from that not saying that they would they should have stayed together anyway because whoa toxic like unbelievable but at the same time he was leading her on and she was foolish enough to believe even after they split up she hadn't moved on right and that's where I think some of that I guess there's that saying, what, uh, a scorned woman, no hell hath no fury like a scorned woman, basically, yeah. you know? Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. There you go. Um, that I think she, and she had the perfect, you know, I think it was premeditated myself. I think she thought it out. She definitely took the steps to try to cover her tracks. She knew what she was doing from the beginning to the end that day. she knew how to get in to his head and that was sex. It was, Hey, you know, I'm going to come over, let's have sex. And, you know, and she, that's what she did. And she knew what she was doing. Well, she, that's the thing. I mean, premeditated. She didn't, she burgle her grandparents' house for the gun. For the gun. Yeah. That's premeditation right there. But the fact that she, I mean, she knew how to get into his home. Why didn't he change the code? He knew what she was like. I'm not blaming the victim here. Of course. Because that is so wrong. But at the same time, there were so many ways he could have protected himself. Same as any woman can protect themselves. Right. And they they shouldn't be put in a situation in order to need to do so. But having those tools at your command or at your fingertips is in itself protection without having to use it. You shouldn't have to use your protection for the... Well, you know what I mean? You shouldn't have to use that kind of method to protect yourselves from going out on the street or in your own home. But he could have changed his code. She was slashing his tires. Why didn't he report it to the police? There was something wrong with her and she needed protection. She needed to be saved from herself. Right. And that was, you know, something I was thinking about right now was is that he was still having a sexual relationship with her even though he knew she was slashing his tires and uh uh girls tires one of the girls he was Lisa, dating Lisa's, she, i think yeah he slashed her tires you know what i mean and it's like and he was still continuing the sexual relationship 
But at the same time, the thing I get the feeling that Jodie was very much on her own, not justifying any of her behaviors because dear God, I mean, seriously, there is something wrong with her. It's not her. It's yeah. She clearly had a, some kind of personality disorder, but you have to seek help for yourself. And she clearly wasn't because a lot of people who have issues don't acknowledge them or don't even recognize them as being issues because they've been like it for ever. But she had, I mean, she had a series of destructive relationships before she got involved with him. Oh yeah. All of her. And it goes back to that point. She always molded herself to fit in right since the time she was little. And I think when you're, when you do that, right, because we've all done it, everybody in some way or another throughout their lives have tried to change themselves to get a desired outcome, right? Yeah, and wearing a suit to the office, for example. Right. And so I think when that desired outcome doesn't happen, then you're like, well, what the hell? Why Why aren't you, you know, reciprocating because I'm literally giving you what you want, but it's still not good enough. You know what I mean? And the reality is, is that now you've bent yourself into a pretzel trying to be something that you're not instead of just being who you are. And then now you feel even more resentment and anger towards whatever the situation is because your pretzel bending didn't give you the desired outcome. The reading about her case and the court case and everything else after that occurred afterwards, it, it does seem like her personality or her real personality started to come out during the case during the trial for sure yeah during the trial it definitely came out she was a liar which in a relationship to start with you do tend to not show your real face so much because you want to get to know the person you want to get them to trust you but it's not in a necessarily in a manipulative manner however every single thing she did was fake right. it wasn't who she is because it seems to have reached a point where she didn't even know who she was anymore yeah i think at the same time she was very i mean everybody's saying oh she was sweet she was such a sweet girl was she really or was that just the face she was putting on in order to manipulate them into thinking so because it seems like travis's friends saw through her and they tried warning him and he wasn't, you yeah. know, he was, he was thinking with the wrong head. I hate to yeah. say it, but. Yeah. But the issue, I think the issue with that is when you start telling your, you think about it, have you ever been in a situation where you've got a friend or a sibling or, or somebody close to you and you know that their partner is a wrong one. Right. And then you tell them and you end up and or you tell them after they've broken up. And then all of that stuff is in your head, is in their head. Oh, well, I never trusted them. They lied to you. They did this. They did that. I, I didn't like them from the start. And then they get back together. Bye-bye friendship. Yep. Because you can't then pull all that stuff back. And it's almost as though he didn't want to listen to it, but at the same time, maybe they weren't telling him everything. True. Well, and that's when, the, you know, the, uh, Jody and Travis had went to their friend's house and they're trying to tell him and, you know, they tell him, hey, you know, she's listening on the other side of the door right now. He's like, no, no, no. And then he opens the door and bam, there she is. It's a, it's like single white female, the film. I don't think I've seen that one. Is it good? Oh, it's sinister. It's sinister. It's basically about a woman who moves into, who becomes a roommate single white female as the advert for getting a right. roommate that makes and sense. she basically models herself on her roommate it's kind of sinister <laughs> i'm gonna it's, check it's, it out yes yeah, it's, it's an it's an oldie but a goodie well not that old i think it's like late 90s late uh, 80s early 90s oh with, okay. bridget, with bridget fonda but it's it's kind of like that she obviously didn't know who to model herself on so she was looking at the template for the perfect woman. And in her mind, the perfect woman gives a man what he wants. 
So as you said, she's twisting herself up into a pretzel in order to fit all these different molds. But the real mold is underlying all the time. And that real mold is someone who has got a quick temper, who has got, I mean, she must, I noticed she had an IQ test and everything done. Did, what were the results of it? Did she have a high IQ or was she dumb? Because all of the things that she did in the run up to killing him sound quite clever. Not clever good, but clever bad. Right, almost like cunning, you know, where she was able yeah, to exactly. to manipulate, you know, the whole narrative that, oh, don't look at me. I'm not, you know, I'm just a girl. Ha ha ha. But you know, she's she's running the show behind the scenes. Yeah, it remind it sounds weird. It reminds me of a load of Criminal Minds episodes where they say the person who's guilty always tries to get involved with the case. Right. And that's exactly what she did from the onset of the investigation. I mean, the cops didn't even have to wait that long for Jody to call, you know, the police and say, hey, do you need help? And, you know, Travis is barely cold in essence, and she's already and she's calling them. But she provided them with her DNA and everything. It's like there's something that didn't add up about her. Because, okay, so you offered to help them so you can get involved in the case and find out what they know and everything else. But then you're giving them the very weapon that they're going to use to convict you. It was almost as though she lived in that little world that said, you're never going to get caught because what you did was brilliant. Right. Or it's that, I think it's part you know, part narcissism, you know, where she thinks yeah. she's trying to make herself look as best as possible. So if she makes herself look good to the investigators that they won't, you know, think it's her, even though all literally all of the evidence is going to point to her. Yeah, because why would she present herself to the police if she's guilty of committing the crime they're looking for the response, the answer to? Right, exactly. It couldn't be her, but, you know, and then they're going to be like, in a couple of weeks, they're going to be like, yeah, it was you. Way to go. Yeah, and I was astounded at how long it took to get this case to court. That is definitely, I, I don't know about in the UK, maybe you can clarify, but it takes forever for court cases here to get through, especially the high profile ones. That's the thing. I mean, Sarah Everard was a really, really high profile case. It occurred this year. It's done. He's in prison. Right. And that's, to me, is that's the way it should be. And here it's one of those things that prison cases take forever. I mean, it's it could be two years before your trial even starts because of lawyers and motions and evidence and, and so on and so forth. It's insane. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, they had video evidence of that case. Lots of video evidence. What um, about ones without video evidence? Does it usually take that see, long? I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to think of really, really high profile cases. I mean, obviously, the the West trial. Oh, that was just, they still think there's more bodies and it's just horrific. But that took them ages to figure out that anything was going on. So... <laughs> And there are lots of other high-profile cases. I mean, there was the Sarah Payne case that was in the early 2000s, and then obviously the Jamie Bulger case, but that mm -hmm. was children. Right. It's insane, man. The, 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 the judiciary system is one that I think, at least here, it needs reform as far as that goes. It's literally in our Constitution that we're, we have the right to a speedy trial, but it seems like <laughs> speedy is, you know, you could sit out not knowing your fate for 10 years and then all of a sudden now you go to prison. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, I, have, I mean, I've seen that there are certain cases that have taken a very long time to get to trial. How long did the O.J. Simpson take, case take oh, to get man. to trial? That was years, but I was a kid when that happened. So I, it's like not even on the, I, I have no idea. I don't think I was a kid. <laughs> I think now, it may have been in my late teens or something, I think. I remember when it happened, of course, like, because it was huge news. But I, I yeah. think it was in, what, 93, 94, something like that? Yeah, right? I was an adult. Yeah. 
I was I so I remember him when he was in things like uh, I think he was in Airplane Two or something. He was in films. Yeah, yeah, that was that's we OG. didn't really know him. We didn't really know him as a sports star because American football and English football, two totally different things. Right. Which that's a whole nother conversation we could get into, yeah. right? We uh, could indeed. <laughs> but yeah, the the OJ Simpson trial, I know it took a long time because it was years before he was finally acquitted. See, that's the thing. I mean, I found it the entire yeah, the US judiciary system is totally different to ours. But it was this, I mean, this case, it took five, five years, I think. Yeah, from the get, time the trial started. Yeah, because she was, the murder took place in 2000, in June 2008. I mean, I found it very interesting that they found records of conversations that they'd had on the phone in the run up to his murder. Right. His text messages, uh, you know, probably, they were probably even recorded phone calls. I mean, there was a lot of evidence pointing to you know the fact that this was probably going to happen yeah exactly and that was the point where if she'd had friends or family that were close to her they would have in a normal world maybe stepped in but nothing is mentioned of her family and she seems to have been incredibly isolated and very lonely Hello, Unabomber. Um, <laughs> and she was so twisted up that something like this was bound to happen. I I 100% agree with you that this was something that I think she was going to commit. And I think just that the way that Travis was playing with her, I think it kind of just sent her over the edge because no matter how hard she tried, he wasn't giving her what she wanted, and so she lost her mind, basically. Yeah, it makes you wonder if they'd completely cut contact with each other, if she would, if anything would have happened. And I think because it's one of those... she wasn't going to initiate that. I think it was one of those things that she probably would have stalked him from afar, but I, I don't necessarily believe that maybe something would have happened because... But who knows, you know, maybe it was just wired in her that she was going to do whatever she could to get his attention, too. But then if that's the case, why didn't it happen with the 40-year-old guy True. that she was involved with before? Or the guy that was really, that used her, that she lived with in high school, when she should have been in high school. I mean, that, to me, shows an absolute massive lack of care from her parent her parents and everything else as though they wiped all sort of remnants of her away when they got divorced right and she left school without graduating high school so she was what 17 something like that yeah that sounds about right a parent who cared for their child would have tried to get them to stay but childhood neglect does not automatically equal a murderer. I wonder if Travis was kind of the catalyst for her break because she had been, in a way, neglected her whole life, you know, from her parents to the first man that she, you know, was in love with. And every, you know, relationship after that, she was always chasing for that attention that she never got. And Travis was the exact same definition of that, right? And how much did she change for though for them? And then everything that she changed, she became part of a bigger picture with Mormon Church and all his friends and the job that she got working for that legal services company, all of those things. The, ch the, the legal services thing was something she changed for herself and that triggered... All of those little changes she made for Travis. And then to lose all of that when she lost him would have been enough to switch on that little thing that said, he's responsible for me losing all of this. And if he's out of the picture, maybe I'll get it back. And that's a very good point. It's, you know, it's that, you know, 
oh, it's his fault. So if he's not there, I everything's going to go back to being better. You know what I mean? And yeah. the that and that's another, you know, even just an MLM, that's another way for her to change her personality to be something that she's not. You know what I mean? And maybe she yeah. was good at selling, but at the same time, an MLM, you're really not making money unless you're top 1%, basically. Yeah, exactly. And obviously, he was incredibly good at his job. Right. And I think that's what she was trying, again, to change herself to be able to match his ambition or his, you know, his success. And I don't think she had it. And I think that's another part that probably drove her a little crazy. Yeah, the the feelings of inadequacy and exhaustion. Right. <laughs> acting, <laughs> acting a way that you're not is tiring. Right. And it gets, it's very, I couldn't actually say it better. I was going to try to come up with something better and there's not because it does. It's exhausting to try to be something that you're not and you're never going to feel good enough because, well, you're not going to be good enough because you're trying to be something that you're not. Yeah. And she spent her entire life playing a role rather than being herself. Right. So who's to say, I mean, one of the things that struck me when I was reading through research on the case after all of the stuff she kept on saying, oh, well, when I'm in prison, she kept on talking about suicide. I'd rather die. And then when that option is presented, it's it's like, no, I, I actually really want to live. Right. And then it's like, and, well, which is it? Yeah. And then she's saying, oh, while, while I'm in prison, I'm going to do donate my hair to charity, which apparently she has actually stuck to. But it's like, where was this person before but it's that she's trying to make herself look better to somebody to something yeah, right? but that's the thing though it's not going to make any difference now no but in her mind she thinks it is and while in the bigger picture while we know it's not going to help her look better in her mind it is helping her look better and that you know it's probably that little hope of oh maybe me because i do this they're gonna let me out kind of thing yeah, it doesn't work like that. Well, it, <laughs> it, it it sometimes does. Right. So what are your thoughts on the death penalty? Do you think she should have been found guilty and sentenced to death? Or do you think that she should serve life in prison? Well, the thing is, I mean, the death penalty, there are certain crimes that it's really difficult because we don't have it in the UK. Oh, Okay. It's, it has, I don't think we have, we haven't hung anyone since the 1900s. It's not a, it's not a method of control in the UK at all. Uh, I think the last guy was hung in like nine, the 1920s or something. And actually it was a woman, but anyway, we don't, so we don't have it. It's really difficult. I think the issue with that is as one of the, um, one of her defending attorney stated do you want to be responsible for killing someone who requires mental help and she clearly does require mental help hopefully she's getting it it's not going to make any difference now because she's in prison but hopefully it will help her to accept that what she did was wrong and that is the difference between the death penalty I think that some cases it can be too quick and what happens if evidence does later prove that that person was innocent? So it's like, oh, my God, a mistake. There are certain people that definitely deserve to die, but then are they actually being punished? Right, so or that's is it the a thing. relief for them, right? Yeah, exactly, because they may well be living under life is hell, and I just want to inflict hell on everybody else. So therefore, why didn't they top themselves instead of going on a murdering rampage but it's really difficult because you're giving them is you're giving them an out but uh, as I said I live in the UK where it's not something that any jury has to decide I'd hate the idea of being on a jury that was deciding on a life or literal life or death case because that kind of responsibility it must be incredibly incredibly hard Oh, I would, I would have to agree 100%. I, I, I'm torn like you, I, I struggle with it just like you do. It's, it's, and I, you know, I live in the States where, where we do have the death penalty 
And yeah. it's one of those things that I don't know if I could, you know, necessarily choose life or death for somebody. Now, I agree that there are people out there that deserve it that are not going to change. They, No matter what kind of help you give them, no matter what kind of any kind of mental health pills, whatever, nothing is going to change them. And that's just who they are. And, you know, they deserve to go. But at the same time, you have cases where there's clear, you know, case for, you know, she has borderline personality disorder or, you know, needs that mental health to fix who she is or who they are. And, you know, how can you sentence somebody to death like that? You know what I mean? So it's a hard case. And it, people, you know, even though we have the death penalty here, you have people who sit on death row for 30, 40, 50 years uh, who end up just dying of natural causes anyway. So yeah. how effective is, you know, the death penalty if you're not even going to put people to death? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's almost as though the threat of it is enough to have them living with regret for the rest of their lives. Right, and a lot of people, and while they... <laughs> And this is uh, something, you know, that everybody finds Jesus in prison, right? Or some kind of, of higher power because now they have nothing but time on their hands. You know what I mean? And yeah. so it, it's it's hard to say whether or not that person would change if they were off death row or not. Because, you know, would they still have, you know, their homicidal tendencies if they weren't locked in a cell 23 hours a day? Yeah, exactly. What's their, they're in prison, therefore, okay, so we do have prison violence, there's quite a lot of it. I think every country does have an element of that. But at the same time, you've got that, as you said, they have got nothing but time on their hands to contemplate. I'd like a few more hours in my day. I wouldn't commit a crime in order to get put in prison to have it. But I would like a few more hours in my day. <laughs> <laughs> that's true we all are searching for time right yeah exactly but at the same on that same level these people deserve to be punished for what they've done if you've taken somebody if you've taken another life or you've destroyed the life of someone through an action that you did deliberately then you should be punished for it it's like I think personally, I think that all rapists should be chemically castrated. Right. All rapists, whether they're pedophiles or raping someone, an adult, male or female. Right. And that's definitely. But that's personal view. <laughs> right, of course. And that's something that, you know, is another conversation as to where it's just sometimes the crime or sometimes the punishment doesn't fit the crime. And that's yeah. the hard part is that how can you, there's so many different personalities and such that it's like a lot of people would view that as barbaric, even though the punishment would fit the crime. Yeah, exactly. As I said, that is a personal view. Please don't come for me. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, there are so many different levels of crime. and. It's focusing on the right ones. How many, how many people focus on white collar crime? So, oh, that person defrauded the government and they didn't pay their taxes and they'll get prison time for it. It's like, okay, just make them pay their taxes. <laughs> seize, their, seize their property. Make them pay their taxes. That should not be something that the taxpayer is paying for. Whereas there are other crimes that, you just sit there thinking, oh, my God, how did they get away with that? It's like there have been so many cases where people have gone in, pr gone to prison for committing heinous crimes. And then the taxpayer is funding their identity change when they are released. <laughs> right. The witness protection program. Well, it's the thing. We don't have the witness protection program so much as they come out of prison and they're given a new identity. So in a way, it could be the winter. But they're not witnesses. They are the criminal. Oh, what? Yeah. That's crazy. And the taxpayer is funding those identity changes. It's like, hang on a second. So you've been in prison 
and the taxpayer has paid for it. You've you committed a crime for which you were sentenced. The taxpayer paid for the trial. And now the taxpayer is paying for you to be free with a new identity so that people can't judge you for something you chose to do. <laughs> that's insane. I... That's, that's the thing. I think there needs to be a balance. Right. That's crazy. I'd never heard that. I didn't know that before. Yeah. There have been a few instances of it over here. That's crazy. And it's, it's a bit concerning, I think. So do you have any final thoughts on Jody Arias and what are what's your take on on her actions? Well, I think that she got they they made the right choice with the outcome because I don't think death I mean, don't they in most of these cases ask the the family of the victim for their opinion? So clearly but they couldn't come to a conclusion on their own anyway. Even the juries couldn't decide whether she deserved death, which leads me to think that maybe in this case, if there was so much doubt, they made the right decision in sentencing her to life in jail anyway. I don't think it's fair that she blamed her childhood or anything else for her actions because she was an adult. She wasn't a teen, an infatuated teenager. She was nearly 30 years old. So she was in control of her faculties to the degree that she could be and she would have been better off had she completely when they finished their relationship she deleted his phone number she moved out of state if she deleted his phone number and just carried on okay so maybe somebody else would have become a victim but maybe she would have actually had some kind of relationship with someone who helped her to seek help because that's ultimately what she needed that is 100% right. She did need help. So hopefully she's getting it. Hopefully. But, but at the same time, she brought this. This was her choice. Nobody else sat down and said, here, here's the gun. Here's a knife. There's your victim. She made those decisions on her own. It was just situation and circumstance that had him being the victim. I 100% agree. And stop leading people on. Don't be assholes. Yeah, but at the same time, even if you do lead people on, it doesn't justify. Yeah, it doesn't justify it. (laughs) Right. Oh, no, I'm not. Absolutely not. He was, I mean, he was, he was a jerk to her. He treated her in many ways. He treated her as badly as the boyfriend that abused her. But at the same time, she had it within herself to walk away and didn't. Because he wasn't physically, well, from what we can tell, he wasn't physically abusive. He did kind of gaslight her, which in itself isn't right. No, of course not. But again, like you said, there's still no justification for this kind of brutality, right? Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, okay, so maybe he got a bit violent, you dropped his camera or whatever, which was the justification she gave for stabbing him in self-defense. but. There's injuring someone in self-defense and there's (laughs) brutally stabbing them to death. And they are two very, very different things. 100%. Well, Ray, I appreciate you coming on. I've enjoyed our conversation. Uh, Why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you at, a little bit more about your podcast, and tell them how and where they can find you. Okay, well... Uh, you can find me on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs. And I'm super active on there, actually. I also have Instagram, which is not before coffee podcast. And you can find my podcast pretty much everywhere on Apple and Spotify and everything else. And I release episodes on Monday and Thursday every week because I'm insane. <laughs> I give it up to you for releasing two episodes a week. That is dedication right there. Hard work. (laughs) (laughs) So before we go, I have one question. Do you mind answering before we go? I can try. If you could be one sandwich condiment, what would you be and why? Marmite. Some people like it. Some people don't. But it's salty. It's 
pretty good for you. And I love it on toast. I don't think I've ever heard of that before. It's very, very British. As I said, it's actually got the tagline, love it or hate it. And you don't, it's not a case of you like it or you maybe like it. It is really a case of you like it or you don't. Well, that's an interesting choice. Again, Ray, thanks for coming on. I hope you enjoyed the Jody Arias case. That's kind of a sad way to put it, but um, it's definitely a case of of somebody who definitely deserves, who needed, not deserves, but needed mental health help. And it wasn't either she didn't get it or she didn't want it. Um, but at this point, she doesn't have a choice, right? So yeah, thanks for coming on, and I hope you have a good day. You too. It was absolutely my pleasure. It was really fun to do the research, actually, even though it's not a fun case by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you have a good day. You too. Thanks ever so much, Kevin. It's been great. Thanks for listening. And remember, you never know what's lurking in the shadows, lingering around the corner, walking past your house at night. So watch out, stay safe, and keep listening. This has been The Jury Room.